Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian, a U.S. editor of Waters, and I am joined as always by James Rundle, our news editor. Hello everyone. And we are also joined by our U.S. reporter, Amelia David. Hiya. So today, you know, end of the year, you know, starting to get that time when, you know, news really starts to slow down. Is this the last podcast of the year, or is it? No, no, we do one next week, too. Yeah, I mean, as Dan said last week, every single week, gotta hit up one. But it's like being in school. It's like we work until the last minute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you, if you were here, you could see um, how seriously we're going to take this issue today. In that we're drinking uh, beer here. Thank you, Katie. Um, yeah, thank you, Katie, uh, for uh, delivering that uh, from. Uh, well, I think uh, Colin picked it up for us. But yeah. enjoyed reading. <laughs> enjoyed reading. Um, so enjoying a, a couple frosty ones. Going to talk uh, about the ten. These aren't necessarily our most read stories, but these are what we felt were the 10 uh, most important news stories of the year, and they're kind of uh, built around topics of 10. You picked them out, so yeah. that, was, that was kind of thinking, right? Yeah, so it's kind of arranged thematically to an extent. Um, I think just in terms of not necessarily either our most hard-hitting stories, but in terms of the overall themes of the year and what happened, I think these are the most relevant and probably the most important. So okay. if you want to get a flavor of what happened during 2017... These are the stories you read. And we will link to all of them so you can read them, have a, a trip down memory lane. Before we get into any of that talk, just really quickly, um, we have a new awards uh, program uh, that will be going live next year, um, but the submission uh, dates, the date for submission, I swear I've only had a quarter of a beer so far, I don't know <laughs> why, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, it's going to be our Women in Technology and Data Awards. Um, these awards aim to recognize, promote, and celebrate the outstanding contribution that women make to technology and data roles across the capital markets. Um, the awards ceremony will be, had, will be held Thursday the 9th, uh, 9th of March in London at the Marriott Hotel in Regent Park. Regent's Park. Regent's yeah. Park. Yeah. Nice area. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They Very, have uh, deer. They do have deer, yeah. Like like the animal? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, King's okay. Hunting Ground. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, you get to go see the deer, get to see an awards program. and uh, But right now, the entry, the date to enter, uh, have opened December 13th. They're going to close January 19th. I don't think that there is an extension, but... There's always an extension. There's <laughs> almost always an extension. Not least of all because we've somehow decided to schedule this over Christmas and New Year, so, you know... Yes, yes, yes. Okay, i got to imagine that uh, we'll keep on plugging this just so you guys know about it, but... We'll put a link to the article. You can see the categories. You can see how to enter. Um, but uh, you know, we're we're hoping to get a lot of um, submissions, a lot of feedback um, to build these into um, a big time award that uh, that will recognize uh, the valuable contributions of women in the industry. So again, uh, entries are open. They'll be open till at least January nineteenth, and the event itself will be March 9th in London. Um, so, our ten stories. Um, James, I'll let you kind of lead them off, if you, or you want sure. me to read it off first? And... No, I got it, man. That's okay. kind of my job at school. Okay. Um, so, yeah, 10 big stories. Uh, I kind of organized this thematically over a number of topic areas, starting off with market structure um, in Europe. So T2S was a big deal that finished this year. Uh, we had a story from Agalos Andreu, um, not only about how all the final migration waves are completed, but also the next steps as well. So what the ECB, the European Central Bank, is hoping to do with T2S moving forward. And, uh, I mean, this has been an ongoing project for years and years and years, and it kind of sets up, really, 
in terms of market structure, I think the theme of 2017, which was completing these projects and now looking on to what the next big thing is, whether that's emerging technologies, whether it's new projects, whether it's new um, structures entirely in Europe, you have you know Capital Markets Union uh, in the US, you're looking at technology now and how that can implement it. So great story from Agalos. Um, he interviewed a bunch of folks from the ECB and various central securities depositories about the impact it's going to have. Um, and the funny thing with T2S being that you know, the, the effects of T2S will last long beyond this, so the hard work is done now, but how it's actually going to affect the business model of these um, institutions is really important moving forward. Now, as you all well know, if you listen to the podcast, I don't really pay attention to European <laughs> regulation. I don't care about it really all that much. Yep. MIFID two is a grand topic that I couldn't really explain to you in any kind of detail, and so much less T2S. But one piece from that story, so this was written in September, um, was that according to TCB, there is a possible merger of T2S with the Target 2 platform in the near future. Has that happened? Um, do you know? No, it hasn't. Okay, and what would be the benefits of that? Uh, essentially a single payment system for not only um, securities payments, but also uh, real-time growth settlements. So for the large value corporate payments and everything else that goes through the system. So the idea being that you no longer have to go to T2S or T2 or something. You can do it from a one-stop shop. Um, and this opens the door for possibly incorporating things like blockchain stuff in the future. Ooh, blockchain. Oh, yeah. So blockchain. exciting. So exciting. So, all right. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a minute on blockchain. <laughs> Next topic. Next topic uh, in American market structure, which is Woo-hoo. also your favorites, I think. Uh, T plus two. So our very own Amelia David, yeah. who is on the podcast today, wrote a pretty decent string of articles around T plus two and how that's... I'd like to say that, that Amelia did a better job than even Bloomberg, FT, you know, covering, especially around the technology and yeah. covering what this means for our readership. Well done. Definitely. So having a bit of a... Considering that when I brought the brought up the possibility of writing the story, both James and Anthony forgot it was going to happen. So... Yeah. We did. Yeah, <laughs> there's we that. That's, that's where we get paid the big bucks, man. We yeah, see yeah. the big picture, not these... Yeah. Uh, it's also okay. called delegating. I'm not supposed to remember these things. The other reporters remember these things, and then I have nothing to worry about. Exactly, yeah. This is it. But no, Mia's uh, story of articles was great culminating in the one she did actually on the day, um, which actually was a masterclass in making a couple of stories out of a non-story, because it went yes. pretty well, right? It, it, so. Nothing happened. Um, uh, part of me was actually really hoping for something more dramatic to happen so that I could extend this to a further what number of articles. What kind of monster are you? Do you want people to lose I am their a journalist. So I am <laughs> a journalist. That means I want bad things to happen, essentially. <laughs> but but not, there was nothing nothing bad happened. There was a couple of uh, maybe just, you know, some organizations just forgot how to code something. But th- they were relatively minor, and I was... Actually, very pleasantly surprised that something as big as a settlement cycle um, being shortened to two days could go well, so Just go short, it should have happened a lot sooner. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a study, so lesson when they want to do something, yeah. they can go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just when they they don't really, want to. really want to. Dr. Fact is knocking at the door, people. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll link to those articles and those. They're really good. Um, a nice kind of again, capping point because this has been going on in Europe for years and years before it happened in the US, and now sort of everyone's really converging onto this one single kind of um, standard for settlement, yeah. which will soon be disrupted by everything else. There was also, you were talking about T plus zero, right? Off of yeah. That? What was um, the main gist of that? Because the idea is if you've already moved to T plus zero, 
So two days, the next step would be either shortening it to just a day. If you move to T plus two. Yeah, if you move to T plus two, it's um, it's not easier to move to, say, T plus one or T zero, but the idea there is that you've, you've shortened it there's going to be a lot of people who want it even shorter. There's a lot of people who want to settle real time, which is is practically impossible, but... Interestingly, I spoke to the DTCC not long after those uh, stories, and they said they're actually working with the NYSE and various other exchanges to get together a a voluntary move to same-day clearing thing. Just to see that happen. Apparently, it's perfectly possible. It's just, you know, the various structures around it don't support it. Yeah, it's... you, it's, it's just a matter of code, but it's everything else that follows, and it's also people looking at the the trades that are happening. You, you can't reasonably expect somebody to always be keeping an eye on all the machines. That's what you got blockchains for. Okay, that is what <laughs> machines and blockchain is for. Although your story was blockchain not ready for T plus Yeah, that's, so that's also true. Uh, number eight, Brexit, my favorite topic. Oh, um, God. Don't get James going about Brexit again. So when I first rejoined Waters, Agalas and I did a a double byline on some of the moves around Brexit. James, as usual, trying to sneak in the other people's stories. <laughs> this is it, man. Can we hatch it, Rundle, for a reason? Um, so the gist of this was that the EC made a something of an own goal by suggesting that uh, clearing houses should be relocated to the Eurozone if they're going to trade Euro-denominated instruments, because ESMA can't possibly supervise them if they're not, which at the time was, and is now is seen as a naked mm-hmm. kind of grab after LCH, because that handles 90% or something of... Um, European interest rates clearing, and you know Europe wants that, obviously. Uh, since then, it's had quite a torturous path through. Um, a lot of industry opposition to it from pretty much all quarters, apart from European MEPs and uh, European regulators who are very keen for it. Uh, so we'll see what happens next year. But there was the first real kind of um, blow, I guess, over Brexit, which yeah. is in theory at this point. This is the EC actually saying, you know, now we're going to do something to take it off you. And then following that, you had um, increases in power for ESMA and the various authorities, the relocation of the European Banking Authority from London to Paris, I think. Um, so, yeah, that was the first step, really. And then to build off of that, um, Agalos profiled Stephen Mayor. Yes, yeah, yeah. ESMA's chairman um, for the December issue of Waters. And there was a good piece in that about how, you know, Stephen talks about how, you know, they made these rules with the thinking that, oh, you know, the mm. biggest market will also be part of the EU, and now they're trying to have to scramble on several different fronts to reconcile the fact that Britain might not be part of that. Yes, Probably exactly. Yeah, that. yeah. Although everyone's kind of in a holding pattern because we're not quite sure what's <laughs> going to happen exactly. So, yeah. uh, Number seven, uh, cybersecurity. Uh, obviously the biggest topic of the year. I think the DCCC yeah. and its uh, risk barometer had it as the single most important issue for uh, the financial industry at the moment. Um, I think the big story this year wasn't necessarily the the Experian hack, but it, for our core audience, it was the SEC admission that um, Edgar oh, was hacked uh, <coughs> last year, uh, which kicked off a whole bout of uh, congressional hearings, uh, recriminations. It kind of filtered through onto the consolidated audit trail, which we'll get to later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really showed that cybersecurity is... I mean, cybercrime, sorry, is so pervasive now that not even the SEC is immune to it. And actually, it was quite serious. A couple of people had their personal details exposed. Um, there might have been some illicit trading off the back of it, although the SEC says they haven't detected any yet. So, yeah, well, quite serious. Considering how long it took them to say Just, that they yes. even had yeah, 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 exactly. Um, who knows um, how long it'll take them to say, oh, no, they're actually wrong. And to be Next fair, year, there will be the SEC saying, well, actually. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair to Jay Clayson as well, I mean, he kind of declassified it as soon as it came out, and he's now formed this new kind of cyber division within the SEC. 
uh, I assume because he'd be strung up from a lamppost if he didn't by um, various house committees. But you know, it's going ahead. It's going to be interesting. To see, you know, so what? So we've talked. We're on the fourth subject: uh, Brexit, T plus two mark structure, T two S, all regulations, all going to require money, all going to require yep. um, funding to oversee. How much does cybersecurity, you know, how many taxpayer dollars are going to have to go toward these entities to make sure that not only can they keep up with the regulations, but also make sure that they have, that their technology is as up-to-date, as resilient as possible against cyber attack? Yeah, I mean, how many taxpayer dollars is, I don't know really, I mean, I remember sitting behind a couple of guys from the government at a conference earlier this year, listening to them chat about cybersecurity and those sort of bemoaning the fact that the private sector wants the government to fix it and they were sort of saying we can throw billions of dollars at this and it's just not going to stop North Korea from getting into the system at the end yeah. of the day it has to be the private sector that leads the charge on it so yeah we'll see and more connectivity more openness yeah uh, information sharing together. and that is happening I think through um, Waking Shark Bank of England runs a small game Quantum Dawn I think it is the Sigma yeah. runs as well but um, still not a great place I mean you know some of the platforms that have been Formed, uh, have fallen by the wayside for various reasons, not necessarily related to their efficacy, but um, yeah, still quite a way to go. I mean, you still hear a lot of people in, in conferences asking everyone to please join the groups for cybersecurity. So if they're still openly trying to recruit members, it, it probably means there's not a lot of people really thinking that they should Imagine join something of putting some foot into it, but always for being worried to fully engage right now. Yeah, and another guy from a bank talking to me about it the other day, and he said, you know, also the element of um, cybersecurity that's forgotten when you talk about state actors or organized crime is corporate espionage. I mean, you know, <laughs> you can share information with people, but at the end of the day, these are your business rivals, and you don't want them getting into systems either. Because, no, no. you know, um, that sounds very cyberpunk and sort of all the rest of it, but it's a real concern. So cybersecurity, number six, quantum computing. Yes. Um... Obviously, Wei Shen did a great feature on this. Um, in terms of the news stories, I thought the story she filed last week with you was really interesting, um, with JP Morgan and Barclays joining IBM's Q Network. Yep. So this is an initiative that has a bunch of uh, blue chip companies inside it, but they actually get to play with a 20 qubit, I think, quantum computer. Yep. Um, so they can actually not just theorize about it, but actually look and see what can be done with it. Try it out. And IBM has recently built a 50 qubit computer, um, so they're going to bring that in the next phases of the project. So I thought, actually, you know, a practical um, research angle. So I think the Australians are doing that as well. Um, so yeah, the um, CAB uh, community now. What the frick is it? Commonwealth, Commonwealth Bank, Bank of Australia. Of Australia. Australia. There yeah. we go. <laughs> and uh, one of the universities, right? I think they have a, a quantum computer on campus as well. Um, so yeah, actually seeing applications of this is interesting and uh, has, as we've said throughout the year, vast implications. I mean, there's even a note today from ING talking about Bitcoin where it said, you know, essentially all of the, as we've been saying on the podcast, all of these arguments about cryptography are useless because when quantum computing happens, then it's yeah, it's done. And so. the advancements, I think that, so uh, Wishen wrote this article, me and her teaming up on a feature that will be going live in the middle of January. Uh, it'll be for the, it'll be online in the middle of January, will be in the magazine January 8th or 9th uh, because of the holidays and everything. Our publication date for the January issue comes more toward the middle of the month. Anyway, um, we're teaming up just trying to get a bunch of industry experts to talk to us about how they view quantum computing because the advancements in this space 
are really happening at a rapid level. Things that were supposed to be a little bit further down the line are, you know, you, again, IBM with uh, Q is very, very impressive, and Barclays and J.P. Morgan uh, both actively being involved in this project. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Um, we let's spoke quickly with uh, Dr. Uh, Lee Bring, B-R-A-I-N-E, sorry if I'm pronouncing From Barclays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, you know, just this is the quote they told us uh, after publication, so this will be for the feature that we're going to begin to greater detail on. But, you know, we're keen to investigate the latest advancements in quantum computing, how these leading edge technologies could one day add value to Barclays and its clients. We'll begin with experimentation. We'll take some of our existing optimization challenges and using the IBM Q network, explore how quantum computing could potentially help. So right now... This is very much just, you know, just experimenting. It's fleeting it's, right? it's nothing that you're going to be dumping tons and tons of money in, hence why you're going to team up with IBM, with Google, um, with uh, the, there's a, a company out in Asia that uh, Wei Shen had interviewed previously. Um, so you're going to team up with them just to see what it is because you just want to kind of get your head around it so that if that next big step happens a lot quicker than people thought, you're not caught with your pants down. Right. You know, you want to be kind of ready for this because as as we'll note in the future and as plenty of people have told us about, there are going to be some real serious security concerns around our encryption and blockchain technology, just a piece of that, um, that we're going to have to consider um, with the advancement of quantum computing. So it's, it's an interesting subject. That again, we'll have a feature coming out. Um, yeah. And do get in touch with Tony if you're listening and you have a stake in this because, I mean, for God's sake, we're all liberal arts graduates for those who have degrees, and this is very confusing. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Tony's master's degree in uh, quantum physics is it? <laughs> Which one of our colleagues Quantum physics was the name so, of a beer brewed by a magic hat. Mr. Connecticut, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so quantum computing, very important. Um, we're going to be bringing out a bunch of stuff next year about that. It's going to be a big focus for us, so uh, stay tuned. Um, also big focus, artificial intelligence. Um, so we've covered AI and its various subsets to death this year. <laughs> Machine learning, NLP, yeah. RPA, um, deep learning. I thought the most interesting article this year was actually on cognitive um, with IBM's partnership with Proventory. Sure. And whether they're using Watson to sort of bring that in. Because I thought... You know, it wasn't the biggest announcement, almost earth-shattering by far, but what it really did was, I thought, thrust this area of emerging technology into the limelight for the first time, in, not just in terms of what can be done, but how it's being done in terms of surveillance. It was a real use case for it, um, which was shortly followed by um, various exchange operators incorporating machine learning as their surveillance mm-hmm. platforms, mm-hmm. a lot of people talking on conferences about it as well. I mean, you wrote the story. Do you want to sort of talk about it? I think that the two key takeaways of this announcement are, first of all, IBM Watson. It's such a big name when it comes. Like, mm. there are a lot of people that say we use machine learning, we're using AI, but when you really dig down into it, are they really? Do they have the sophistication of a Google, of an IBM? Um, IBM has proven, you know, with Watson, just how powerful uh, their AI uh, infrastructure is. So them getting into this game and you know becoming competitors with some other big names in the surveillance space in this yeah. industry, uh, it's certainly a big um, advancement. And again, that was all built off of the acquisition of uh, Promontory. And this is, I think, the key aspect of this announcement. We're going to talk a lot about machine learning. AI machine learning will 
take a lot of jobs, low-level mm-hmm. jobs. People will go out of work, and especially, you know, if you work in retail and, you know, restaurants, stuff like that, your jobs are in trouble in a lot of different ways. Uh, cross, uh, cross-country trucking, that's going to go the way of the dinosaur at some point here with humans in the truck. Um, how, how, how quickly it happens, who knows. But for those with the skills, for those higher up on the chain, AI and machine learning will help augment what they can do. We're going to use this term a lot. I've used it a lot in other articles. And this is what it does. Its main goal is just to sift through a sea of data to just direct a human to look into certain areas that maybe they should be. And then also connect different points that they previously would have, it would have taken, it would have been too time consuming for them to connect. So I think that's kind of the main takeaway from this announcement, what we'll be seeing in 2018 and beyond. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, so moving on for that, of course, blockchain. Um, again, a slightly offbeat article, we actually talked about it earlier with Mia's article on blockchain not being ready to power same-day settlement, um, which I thought was interesting because this reflected for me the way a lot of the discussion's gone this year about blockchain. A lot of the hot air has kind of been taken out, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time, even last year, people were like, Blockchain will revolutionise settlement. We'll have no need for the DCCC. It's like, the new you know, internet. It's the new internet, essentially. Yes. Um, but what I found, uh, <laughs> em- well, which is kind of you know emphasised by Mia's article, but also from discussions I had with people at Cybos and the, the sort of the tone and the tenor of the panels there was that people are thinking, right, okay, you know, blockchain, we get it now. We get what it can do. It's not a silver bullet for all these problems. What we can do is we can take discrete elements of our industry, we can apply it there, and see what happens <laughs> afterwards. Um, and that seems to be a way more sensible way to go. Are you okay, Mia? You seem to be choking. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> You're dying. Um, it's just all this blockchain possibility, right? I mean, you can't just <laughs> stop drinking water. You're joking. Um, so, yeah. Uh, representative of the fact that the discussion has moved on, I think, uh, and has become a lot more mature around blockchain and what it can actually do versus what evangelists have said it, it will definitely do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then for your article. Because really the idea is, um, even after I published that article, um, there's still a lot of people who are reaching out and saying, no, actually you're wrong. Um, Blockchain can definitely shorten the cycle to to, to T0. And I get it that some people... Which again, I said, my response, which your response should always be to those people... Cool. Can your blockchain handle the same level of equity transactions per day as the DCCC and, does? And because that is exactly you know, the yeah. problem with with um, blockchains that we don't know what it can handle yet. We are still not sure exactly what form it will take. Um, because the the idea that blockchain will be the railroad in which, like, not if not same day, if not real time. Um, Settlement, then at least same day settlement. It's just, it, it's it's still in the drawing stage. Like we don't know, and that's why people are just keep saying like, yeah, maybe it will work, but it doesn't have to be blockchain if you really want it. For wide scale implementation, yeah. exactly. And I think no one's talking about replacing current market structure with a blockchain. Yeah. I'd also say that you know one of the key things from the article that you wrote, Mia, was that uh, Graham McAvoy, so managing director at Morris Stanley. Um, his quote was that blockchain might work, but the infrastructure around settlement is still not there. Blockchain as a technology can allow for faster sharing of information, but it's the infrastructure it needs to catch up. And that's one of the things, blockchain is a tool. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about settlement across an entire industry, it is just one tool. And, and this is all, yeah, this is all men. securities too. And if a bank 
um, and their counterparty cannot handle that. Yeah, so, so the processes aren't built to sustain it. Exactly. This is the thing. So, um, you don't know. Yeah, but uh, again, it's the same kind of argument we're having earlier about uh, market structure with T plus two moving to T plus zero. You know, it's like you know it can be done. Technology's there, but the processes aren't built mm-hmm. to support it. Yet. Also, do you really want to have like really? Do you really want to have? Do you really want to have? Is, it, is this wise? Yeah. Um, Mifid two can't have a list oh, about Mifid two. Uh, which actually the story about Mifid three, uh, which I chose for this. So, um, <laughs> well, they promised there won't be. They promised there won't be. Uh, although I saw an article today, I think, with someone saying, "Yeah, there definitely will be." Um, so Agalos, as we said, interviewed Stephen Mayor from Esma, um, the great cover profile, in which he talked about Mifid three. Um, there were some recent comments by some members of the European Parliament saying it's around the corner. Stephen Mayor said, "Absolutely not. Um, we're looking at tweaking the rules." And this kind of tallies what I've heard from various regulatory sources myself over the last couple of years, that the next iteration of MIFID isn't going to be this big dump of rules as what happened mm-hmm. around this time at Christmas four years ago. Thank you, Esma. Um, it's going to be just tweaks to existing. It's more like an organic piece of legislation that will grow and change as it goes. That being said, it was designed, as we said earlier, around Brexit. So if the, European, if the United Kingdom does leave the European Union, a lot might need to change, which may prompt... Um, a pretty wholesale revision to MIFID three. I really like how people, like in in MIFID, in in market structure T plus two, how people always talk about yeah. Let's talk about the other thing, the next thing now. <laughs> like MIFID isn't happening until January. No, We're already thinking past it. We don't know if like there's no more extension, so everyone's going to have to actually, you know. Well, it's the same way with MIFID two, though. I remember when. I- when I first started covering this area, and everyone was talking about MIFID 2, MIFID 2, MIFID 2. Uh, and it wasn't that long. I mean, it was a while since MIFID 1 came in, but it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy where everyone was talking about it and generating kind of hype around it and actually just happened and kind of birthed this thing that everyone now hates. So, yeah, keep talking about it, guys. See what happens. You're going to get MIFID 3. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number two, the CAT Consolidated Hi. Audit Trail. Um, following on from Dan Francesco's blockbuster earlier this year, Everything looked rosy. The compliance date came and nothing <laughs> happened um, because apparently it's not ready. Um, the exchanges aren't ready to report to it. I've never come across security an industry concerns. project. Yeah, like security concerns that were tied so, to the... Uh, there's so many things happening around it that... Well, but why? This is the thing. Like, you know, the security concerns, I thought, were an excuse because oh, the SEC oh, yeah. has nothing to do with it, really, at the end of the day. So, yeah, it takes information from the cat and kind of safeguard that, but it's not building the cat. Thesis is building the cat. Mm-hmm. So was it not ready to go? Was but Thesis to... also, though, helped build the system. Is that correct? Am I correct in saying that Thesis built the system that the SEC yeah, Midas. got hacked? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no, Thesis didn't build like a... Okay. Not. No, <laughs> Thesis yeah. built Midas, which is built their market okay, yeah, yeah, okay. system. Got it. Um, My bad. Sorry, Thesis. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, sorry, again, this comes back to when we did a podcast around this that no one will say anything about it, you know. Yeah. So this, yeah, I've just, I've never seen it in all my years reporting on this, that something like this happens, the deadline passes, no one complies, and no one does anything about no it. No one cares. It's bizarre. No one cares. Apparently so. Apparently it's just me. I mean, the rest of the industry seems to believe that it's still um, under kind of like a different deadline. It's what, The one that they submitted in that document? That they, uh, the Jay Clayton, <laughs> the chairman of the SEC, yeah. around and went, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. It's like, you know. Clayton was saying, like, there is no delay, but apparently the rest of the industry is um, working as if there was a delay. Which is just phenomenal. <laughs> well, I think... Again, to go back to Stephen Mayer, the profile that Agalos wrote, he said something that essentially like how in the U.S., I can't remember what the term is, but where in, rather than give you a fine, we kind of say, 
you know, your, what, what's it called? They can issue no action letters. No action letters. But they haven't done that for this. And then Europe, so. they're like, we don't do that. Yeah, you you know, that, that I mean, there was a no action letter around MIFID in, here in the U.S., so. The way European rulemaking works is it, it, the mechanism can't work in that environment. But, the, yeah, you're right, the U.S. regulation agencies have the ability to issue a no action relief letter where they say, essentially, it's a stay in compliance, but... To my knowledge, they haven't even done that yet. Yeah. So, See, you know. this is what I love about the U.S. They're giving people a chance. But my point is they're not. Like, <laughs> they haven't they're, issued they're not, a letter. They haven't so issued anything, which is why, you know, let's just pretend as if it hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's just it's phenomenal. Um, anyway, getting off cat and to number one story of the year, which, God, I... We're not going to talk a long time We're not going to talk a long time about this. Bitcoin <laughs> futures, it had to be. You knew it was coming. Um, the CME launched theirs uh, yesterday, so we were recording this on Monday. Um... Sibo's done it. We've talked at length about this before. Let's not go over again. But there's only one thing I want to add to this. Yeah. I was, so I was reading a Wired article about this, and that I think that people are going to have to really start to consider as we talk about like, oh, this increase in ESG and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to invest in Bitcoin? I'm going to read some numbers off to you from a, a story in Wired. Um, we'll link to it. Um, Bitcoin emits the equivalent of 17.7 million tons of carbon dioxide every year. Bitcoin mining. mining. Bitcoin mining, yeah. And that Bitcoin mining, the, so the Bitcoin, the global Bitcoin mining network uses as much electricity as the country of Denmark uses currently. And with 18 months, it will use as much electricity as it is used in the United States. That's unbelievable. Are you willing to... For what? For fake wealth? That, you know, this, it's, it was one of those things I was actually going to actually, because you put up articles about you know, whether journalists should be invested in this. I think there is a point to be made that um, you can that you have a portfolio of indexes and we can still write about indexes. Yeah, yeah. If, you know, if, if like you're that. an index fund and it's, you're not directly invested in stock, yeah. but then if you're directly invested in, say, TradeWeb's uh, or like Statbury stock or whatever public trading company there is, and I wrote a story about that company, I would have to declare at the bottom that I am long the stock or whatever. Sure. So any journalist who's writing about Bitcoin now who has Bitcoin should probably have to do that. That's a separate point, right? It's one side. But yeah. The reason why I won't wide. vote, though, the reason why I won't invest in Bitcoin is simply, or any sort of these cryptocurrencies, is because of these environmental impacts that haven't even remotely been studied yet. And that could have, a, you know, that... To me, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. That's just me. I'm not going to look down I mean, on anybody that does. But I mean, there's also, I, it was just a headline. I didn't even get to read the, the piece. Is that um, personal computers can be hacked if, you, if someone really, really wanted to mine more Bitcoin. So they can, if they hack your computer, they can use your computing power. So there's also that possibility. I mean. They're going to do that regardless of whether you're a Bitcoin or not. Yeah, or not. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just for me, that that was a, those those numbers were jaw dropping. Yeah, phenomenal and wasteful for something. So enjoy your bets on Bitcoin futures. On, on your magic money, you guys. greedy little <laughs> bastards. Wait, although, is there is there someone who's saying that um, printing money is expense is also ruining the environment? I'm sure there is. They used to mine coins. But we like, don't need to mine bitcoins. That's the thing. There has no societal function other than enriching people. Well, see, that's the. I mean, yeah. the, I mean, it, the whole point of why Bitcoin was made was to replace the money that we do have. Was it though? I mean, was it? 
is that was the overarching grand ambition of Bitcoin to replace the monetary the system? Over, as it well, the idea is the the or is that just the bleeding heart liberals have said that you know because it's it can be it's more libertarians. Okay. I was going to say <laughs> I know it's not liberal libertarian quite different. Yeah, yeah. Well, who would say that it's it's good for anyway? Yeah. We're, we're getting off track. Um, <laughs> let's talk about... We have plenty um, of stories, we'll link to them. Yeah, a little bit here. You can make your own mind up. If uh, any areas that we haven't covered this year that we should have done, get in touch by all means. Um, we'll address that next year. Uh, let's talk about something more. Well, first of all, you know, if, if you are looking for gifts for the holidays, yeah. I just finished a book that I recommended to James. So this was um, based off of an article that I had read in The Atlantic called uh, What Happens If China Makes First Contact? With an extra terrestrial society by uh, Ross Anderson, it was a great yeah. article. Um, awesome, awesome article. Yeah. The, you know, it goes into was it a uh, dark forest theory? You know, these kind of um, existential kind of uh, questions around yeah. here. Here's the bottle of it, James. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, around what would happen if China, rather than the U.S., or because we've ended our uh, was it SETI uh, programs? I don't know what that stands for, but search for extraterrestrial. Yeah, search for extraterrestrial intelligence. intelligence. Yeah. The, the way to read the article, I find that um, it was fascinating. It was a view into the kind of the Confucian aspects of Chinese society and how it's never really had a. Um, a real sort of science fiction pedigree before, never been particularly outwardly looking, but it didn't actually answer a lot about what would happen if China made first contact. It just kind of went into the philosophy and kind of what it does. But yeah. anyway, um, essentially a lot of China's, Chinese thought is based um, around Confucianism, around uh, its history about what's happened when uh, more advanced powers have come in and made contact with lesser evolved powers, or not evolved, but developed powers, I guess. Um, and it's always ended badly for the less of yeah. So, yeah, why are we reaching out to another society when yeah. we couldn't possibly? If they can get to us before we can get to them, then that means that they have superior technology than we have, and that creates some drastic problems for us. And we're we're opening the door to end civilization yeah. for what kind of gain? Unless you are really this hippy dippy that believes that this society will want to just spread their love across sure. the universe. Which it's called the it's called the dark forest theory, and it's just it's a really striking kind of name actually is the idea that everyone's kind of keeping very very quiet so no one around them notices a forest full of predators and no yeah. one wants to catch the attention of someone else um so this was kind of popularized by a science fiction author whose name we're going to try and pronounce is xi jin lu i think um i like it well let's go with that um, <laughs> i'm very sorry if it's actually pronounced six in like uh, everyone else has been saying but i don't think it is uh, which won the hugo award actually it was the first chinese science fiction book to win the hugo which is the the oscars of science fiction <laughs> Wait, speaking of that though, um, I just remembered, like on the subway ride here, I was reading an article that came out at the Times over the weekend. How the Pentagon's um, search for UFOs? I gotta read this article because I heard a little bit about this too. But yeah, I so, haven't read it yet. so the idea is that um, it's re- um, the budget and the budget for it officially ended in two thousand twelve. Um, basically, Harry Reid and two other senators, a Republican and a Democrat, um, kind of gave dark money to the Pentagon so they can so they can take in these reports from pilots who say they have found they unexplained objects while they're flying. So they're literally trying literally the X Files, literally yeah, the yeah, X Files, okay. but yeah. instead of the FBI, it's pe- the Pentagon, nice. and they. Um, they have like a lab where they're looking at um, metals to see if this is the one that could have possibly made that weird glowing thing that one pilot saw. And it's in the news because the guy who runs it, 
resigned, saying that there wasn't enough attention being given to it, but the Pentagon says it hasn't existed since 2012. So that's the gist of the article, actually. That's interesting. The first contact could have already been made. First contact could have already been made. In 1947, if you, uh, if you believe <laughs> in Roswell, New Mexico. But, um, back to Xi Jinping, uh, the book uh, is, is very, very famous in China, um, very recently translated. You've actually read the first book. I'm about 75 pages in. I've loved it so far. I so the three-body problem is the book. Yeah. Um, and it really is, it explores some of these thoughts um, around making first contact, what it would mean, you know, why would we do it, you know, these kind of things. Um, it gets into a lot of interesting kind of talks around theoretical physics. Yeah. Um, and, and the weird interaction between sort of society and politics and science and kind of how know, they kind of interact with each other. Also, this, as you get into it, uh, this idea of do we as humans deserve to exist? <laughs> you know, do, do are we right for being exterminated and rebuilt again? Are we just bugs um, for a greater society? These are interesting thoughts. It's a very well written book. Um, that will really make you think. So it's the first of a three-part, uh, th- first of a trilogy. Yeah. Um, and I highly recommend it. Um, it's very, so far, It's if you're a fan of Jeff Vandermeer, if you're like H.P. Lovecraft, it's got some edges of that into it. It's, it's just really well. I don't even like sci-fi. So, yeah. Which brings us, I guess, to our next topic. <laughs> next topic, yes. Uh, the, the big topic of the weekend. It's Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. The, uh, was it? Last Damn, Jedi. I should have said Star Jedi. Trek. I missed a great opportunity there to piss off Just James really, again. really <laughs> pissed me off. So Han Solo is bored the USS Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> so this will be, no spoilers, but you know, we will be talking yeah. about, I haven't seen it. So There will probably be some inadvertent spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, just stop listening now. If you want to... Some validation for your thoughts, or <laughs> or really want to get angry about my view on it, then fine. Go I ahead, mean, please. honestly, because my feelings about it are kind of wrapped up on a spoiler, around a spoiler. So all right, fine. Spoiler alert. <laughs> We're going to talk about spoilers. Mia can't control herself. I can't. So it's okay because <laughs> I I wait months to go see. A movie. I refuse to go into a movie theater um, when a movie just comes out, especially a movie like that. Um, so for the previous one that came out... Which He's a very was, complex individual, as Anthony uh, Lakin. We're not entirely <laughs> sure why the he Force Awakens. Um, I was sitting in the office, and Max Bowie, editor of Inside Data Management, so the movie had been out for a month, and he goes, that joke died just like Han Solo in The Force Awakens. And I go, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I look at him, I go... Movie's only been out for a month. I know it's a month, but come on, man! You're gonna give that spoiler and just for a lame joke you're gonna make? Oh, screw you, Max! Screw Still you. better than how I got it spoiled. From oh me. yes, yeah. that was my favorite story ever. Uh, yeah, so my wife saw it the day before I did, um, and you know, we drive into the the cinema, and uh, we're having a bit of an argument as married couples do now and again. Got a little bit heated, um, ended up sort of shouting each other, and then she just went. Fuck you, Han Solo dies. <laughs> and this is literally on the way to see it. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I did burst into tears. His <laughs> whole childhood was just destroyed just in that moment. moment. I was like, you know, the quivering lower lip, and I was like, he dies? And she went, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. So the next argument, at least you should be able to win and be like, yeah, well, you spoiled that for me. So I, I, been, I win this argument. I've been getting my mileage out of it for the last two years, trust me. Um, to the point where I can't even bring it up anymore because it just results in another argument. But there you um, go. somehow I'm the bad guy. In this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's. It's always that's good been married. Turn the tables like that and make you feel bad for their mistake. Anyway, um, so The Last Jedi. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to give my thoughts first, and we'll go from there? Well, well, honestly, because the thing with me here is that I need to watch it again. Um, I think no, I think I need to watch it again because it yeah. is like nearly three hours long, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which which did not go over well because I thought like at some point where I thought it was going to end, where I thought like this is the perfect time for a cliffhanger. It didn't end, and I was like, I really, really need to pee. Yeah. But it, like, I just... Well, I mean, I'd, I'm an adult, so I went to the bathroom before I got into the cinema. And it's, 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 <laughs> well, the thing is, like, because uh, I want to see it in a, in a movie house where you can't go in. Uh, the bathrooms are all where all the, thea- um, where all the screens are. Um, and I was waiting for my roommate, who for some reason forgot where the theater was. We were watching it in Chelsea, and she came. She went down in Union Square because she thought we were watching it in Union Square. I don't care about your friend. What do you think? Basically, about yeah, so basically, that's why. I this is another Mia story, which goes <laughs> yeah. on for ages and is goes a very on for unsatisfying ages. conclusion. Anyway, <laughs> so so I like I thought it was going to end there, and it didn't. Kept going, and but the reason really why I need to watch it again is because I couldn't emotionally emotionally connect to everything else that was happening. Because they thought a certain character. Because you pissed yourself, or because. Because they thought a certain character was going to die at every moment that there was a shot of that character. Said, "This is it. This is where they die." And it's Princess Leia that had to have happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is earlier on the film, and this is going to be a spoiler if you haven't seen it. But you know, you should have done by now. Um, you had to know that this one was coming. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler, right? like, it's like within the first forty-five minutes of the film, she gets blown out into space. Yeah, right? and I was like, "This is it." <laughs> I was like, "What the hell?" And then no, and then, it's then like, there's this really bad sequence where she uses the force, the force to go back going. into the ship. <laughs> My thoughts about this: like, I love Star Wars. I've always loved Star Wars. The last film I loved, even though it was essentially a remake of uh, A New Hope, this I thought was an hour too long. Could have stripped out John Boyega's role entirely, and that whole plot with uh, Benicio del Toro in it, and the film would have been much better for it. That didn't matter so much. And it was a greatest hits reel of The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, even to the point where um, they were lining up on that planet with the salt on it that looked like snow. Oh, Um, yeah. And it was the same thing as the Battle of Hoth from The Empire. Um, (laughs) And uh, I've I've seen a film, Tony, yes, that makes me nervous. And uh, they have that big battle in the throne room with the Emperor and that yeah. kind of thing. And I was like, what the fuck, guys? I mean, come on. You know, this is just like... Wasn't the Force Awakens, though, basically... Force Awakens... Almost, almost shot, shot for shot, shot remake yeah. of, 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 of the, the New Hope. Hence why people liked it, I guess. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. No, the, I, think, I think that is also, like, an issue because I didn't want it to be that long. There was no point. There was no reason at all for it to be but that all long. All my friends, who I used to respect, and I think they're idiots, have been texting me going... Isn't that amazing? Isn't such a densely plotted, characterized I mean, film? It's, Ryan it's, Johnson, what a director. It's, it's a, like, it's it was a really, boring, man. I mean, it's, come a, on. it's a good movie. It's just not a good. It's not it's just not as good as yeah. I was expecting it to be. Oh, yeah. Considering I mean, that Empire Strikes Back don't get me was wrong, for me the like, best Star Wars. It's like visually stunning and it's exciting. And the battle scenes, you're just like, wow, what's going to happen next? And that kind of thing. Awesome. But then it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And you kind of think, like, okay, I mean, cool. Like, to me, it feels like, though. This is just movies in general. Mm. I have a real big problem right now with these movies that go for three hours. And it's like, oh, well, we're giving the, the people their money. If you're going to spend $20 to get into a theater, 
no, just make me a good hour, 45-minute yeah, exactly. movie, and I'll be thrilled. Runs a good clip. Yeah, and just, and this is actually a thing that I pointed out to my roommate, is that why is it that all movies these days, especially if they're trilogies or part of a series, why do they insist on keeping us so much in the dark? Like, this is the second movie. I would prefer some answers. Don't keep it all for the last movie, because I feel like maybe I should have just save my money and watch the last movie if all the questions I've ever had is just going to be answered. Yeah, there. I mean, this is the thing as well. Like The next movie is directed by Abrams, right? J.J. Abrams, I think, is doing it. Yeah, I didn't know no, that. So they've, they've remade, essentially, the first three films and the first two films. So the, the next film has to be like a brand new thing. So what the hell are they going to do for it? And It'll be five hours long. It'll be five hours It'll long. It'll clearly yeah. be five hours long. It'll be a lot of lens flares in it. It'll be good. Oh, God. Um... And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't impressed by it. I want to see it again just because it was such a long time. I, I, need, I need to see it again just so I can con- emotionally connect to other characters. Because also that's my thing. Like, why were a lot of the new characters that were introduced either passed by, like Rose? I don't know anything. She wasn't so passed much. by. She had a whole point. She had a whole point. But, like, I just kept referring to her as the dead pilot sister. Right. And and then uh, Laura Dern's character who's now gone. Like, what was the point? How good was that opening sequence, though? That was really cool. I thought that battle, that evacuation thing. Yeah, that but was... again, the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it's right? exactly <laughs> so the it's... same. And it's kind of weird. It's like almost like it doesn't know what it wants to be, where for most of the film, and again, spoiler, but you'll get this pretty If you're already in, then you probably already hate it. Yeah, exactly. Like, like so. the, most of the film is literally just this weird, prolonged, slow chase where... Literally, the Rebel Cruiser is inches outside of weapons range of oh, the Star God, Destroyer. Yeah, that was also so for two so hours weird. of the film. It's this big long chase where they can't do anything to the Rebel Cruiser because it's slightly outside of range. That was so That's weird it. to me so because it, like... it didn't make sense. Because then maybe inch forward so you can be within weapons range. Well, I think the idea was that they were outrunning it, but you know. Um, it's just it's stupid. It's a lot of it is is stupid. And also, yeah, it didn't work on kind of physics level as well. Because if you're out, if you go faster, oh, geez, you don't get the fucking physics level. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I, I know it's a film about fucking laser swords and uh, and walkies. It, it's it's it, like it, uh, that movie Interstellar. It drove me nuts. Oh, like when they would sit around and go, "You don't understand the physics that they talk about in it." Are I was like, they're talking about dark hole theory that it's all just theory. So. Let's stop pretending like this is actually what will happen, you know, to save our society. <laughs> it's a freak. And when I have a character describe to me the physics of what's happening, you've lost me already. I'm all good with Star Wars. We're in space having space wars. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially when it's uh, What's-His-Face as well. <laughs> yeah. McConaughey. Um, um, yeah. So there we go. That's and then uh, that. I mean, I don't know. Let's see. Tarantino doing Star Trek sounds cool. It's not a... I'm, I don't know. I'm yeah. very conflicted about it. I, I like Tarantino. I don't think his wheelhouse is Star Trek. Um, you just think about how many characters will be beheaded with lightsabers and stuff. Yeah. Star Trek. God. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's what he's after. That's yes. exactly what <laughs> You're wrong, Anthony. Uh, light swords were in Star Wars. Although, to be fair, Trek. they could actually make a light sword in Star Trek, uh, considering. But... But uh, Patrick Stewart said he'll come back, so. There we go. Excellent. Well, yeah. Um, I don't care about it. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I listened to that whole conversation. And I'm like, yeah, nothing was ruined for me. So, you know, at least that's good. And uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll probably wait till it comes out to video unless but, Alice I really mean, drags we, me out. We didn't say who dies, so that's yeah. that's good. People die. Yeah. They all die. They all die. They... Oh, God. Was... Do you know how much this would become my favorite movie if, like, the evil empire wins. Yeah. 
that would make it that my all-time favorite really cool. movie. And just to watch a generation of kids that just... Mom? Just... <laughs> That's actually a wasted opportunity. I would have actually loved a movie series. This is just like, what was life like under the, the Empire? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there'll be plenty of spin-offs to come. Um, I saw two, two movies this weekend uh, on, on Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, I saw The Circle mm-hmm. with Tom Hanks. Really interesting. I was gonna say look at I, what I, might uh, be with Emma Watson as well. Emma Watson, yeah, yeah. Tom John Boyega was there. What our what our uh, future might our dystopian future of interconnectedness might look like. It was solid. It was good. Nothing amazing. And I watched uh, Fences with uh, Denzel Washington and I can't remember who else. I did have a bit. Viola Davis. She, well she won. She won the Oscar. That movie. Viola Davis was great. The other character in that movie was great. I love Denzel Washington. I, 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 can, I don't usually see a movie that I don't like him. Yeah, he did one it, of my favorite films of all time, which you cannot get on DVD now. Did you ever see Fallen? Oh, God. That was such that a good film. That was such... And the end of it. You're yeah. just like, oh, shit. I, I can't listen to the time of my life yeah. when I think of that film. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, it is... The first hour is just Denzel Washington on just a never-ending, ranting, complaining stream. Mm. And I'm like, I hate this... I, I can't watch an hour of somebody complaining. Like, yeah. you know, it's... I can't. So, I do not recommend that. How about a whole eight-hour workday of someone complaining? Hey, listen. <laughs> journalists complain. That's our job, is to complain and then to seek uh, answers to those uh, complaints. Miss, I need something to go wrong or it doesn't validate my <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we probably lost most of you anyway, uh, with the Star Wars talks, and I'm sure what, some, many of you are waiting for, uh, you know, the Christmas break and all that kind of stuff. Yes. I would say holiday, but Hanukkah, oh, it started on Tuesday, so it oh, it's ends like today? It's like something I think we're all on it, so we can day. say Christmas, and then Christmas, we mean, yeah. whatever denomination you're happy. Yeah, we're yeah, also Christmas. recording some Monday, so it'll be over by the time we post this. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, Women in Technology and Data Awards. Get your submissions in now, we'll link to it. Um, give me a call, shoot me an email if you have any questions as to uh, what's involved in the process and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Jen, oh, yeah. Don't tell me I'm wrong about Star Wars, I'm not interested. Yeah, he doesn't want to hear about <laughs> it. No, but I think that definitely bombard him on Twitter. <laughs> it's at Jim Rundle. Uh, you know, Actually, one thing, uh, thinks since you're, do you, do you get an announcement about how we change up the podcast? Last week, we're changing up the podcast. Is that how do you, do you talk about? I mean, I just run this thing, but why would anybody? Uh, wait, uh, no, was I involved? Because in I'm getting a lot of emails from vendors saying they want to appear on the podcast. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> Please I stop sending them to me. I was like, I thought, who the hell made this decision? How was I not involved in this decision? I quit. Just <laughs> hear me storm out of the room. You've been reading about the cultural revolution, right? So you know, this is uh, what's happening. Um, but, um, yeah, please stop sending me emails about coming on the podcast. We'll contact you. This is 2018. We'll be bringing vendors on to the podcast um, to only talk about that is creepy what as the hell. fuck the webcam has just started to move yeah, the on webcam just started hey, remember that story right about the internet things and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, clearly someone was mad about our Star Wars talk <laughs> so um, anyway uh, vendors will have vendors on in the new year um, but they will not talk about their products um, I don't want to hear you know anybody that wants to see their products can pick up the phone and give them a call but we do feel like that there are some very smart people that we are, you know, kind of neglecting um, getting some of their insights onto some of the more pressing things. And also, James and I can only talk so much about Bitcoin before we want to blow our brains out. I'm pretty much already there. Yeah. I think one more story about 
launching Bitcoin futures, and I'm I'm going to be jumping off. So next that. week we'll be talking only about Bitcoin futures, uh, James. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas! Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, Mia, anything else? No. <laughs> Mia will be away in I the Philippines away. <laughs> for the next couple weeks. James, he'll be around. Yes, he'll be around. Yeah. He'll be around too. Um, well, if you want, reach out to us. Other than that, we'll see you uh, next week or in the new year. Have a good week. <laughs>